is something that I believe applies to a whole bunch of us here. We're going to talk about family. Everybody say family. We're talking about family. We're going to talk about leading our family. We're going to talk about parents. So how many of you here today would raise your hand? If you are a parent, raise your hand. Come on, if you're a parent. Man, look around. There's a bunch of parents. Come on, give it up for all these parents in the house today. Right? Awesome. Now, how many know that being a parent is a huge responsibility, right? I mean, how many feel the weight of that sometimes? And the truth is, like, when you have one kid, it's a big responsibility. When you have two kids, it's an even bigger responsibility. When you have three kids, it gets even bigger, right? And here's the deal is, like, when you have one kid, it changes with every kid. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you have that one kid, right? I mean, the first kid, it's like you got a million pictures of the kid, right? But then you have the second kid, and you might have a hundred pictures of the kid. Then when you have a third kid, it's like we got a couple dozen. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's the way it works. Like when they're a baby, you know what I'm talking about? Like the first baby, whenever the passy drops out on the floor, like you would disinfect it and boil it, clean it, like all kinds of, like throw it away, get a new passy, right? Before you put it in the mouth. And then when it's like the second baby, if it drops on the floor, you might rinse it off, right? Then the third baby drops on the floor, you just pop it back in their mouth, dirt and all, right? That's right. Come on, parents. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of the way it goes. In fact, I came across a few of these. I thought they were kind of funny. If you'll put that up there. Uh, the first baby, as it, as it uh, applies to maternity clothes, the first baby would be like this. You begin wearing maternity clothes as soon as the doctor confirms that you're pregnant, right? But then with the second baby, you begin wearing your regular, or you wear your regular clothes as long as possible. And then when the third baby is like this, your maternity clothes are your regular clothes. Come on, don't get mad at me. I didn't make these up. Ladies, I'll be in trouble. All right, and then when it goes, when it comes to going out and leaving the baby with the sitter, the first baby, you're calling home every five minutes. The second baby, just before you walk out, you remember to leave a number where you can be reached. The third baby, you leave instructions with the sitter to call only if she sees blood, right? And then there's, there's when it comes to swallowing coins. This I like this one. With the first baby, you rush them to the hospital and demand x-rays. With the second baby, you carefully watch for the coin to pass. With the third baby, you deduct it from their allowance. Right? How many know parenting is a struggle? The struggle is real. Like, hashtag that out. And here's the deal. It's like parenting is a huge huge responsibility. We feel the weight of it every single day. I have three kids and I feel the weight of every single day. The fact that I am responsible for another human life. I mean, it's incredible that, man, I'm responsible for their health and for their well-being, for their protection and for their provision, that they grow to maturity, that they learn all the things that they need to learn. And I mean, every day I feel this weight of what you feel about being a parent, that I am responsible for another human life. But today I want to talk about something that is even a greater responsibility than even that, that as a parent, let me just tell you something, you are not just responsible for another human life, you are actually responsible for another eternal soul. Let that sink in for just a minute here today. Moms and dads, I want you to know that, yes, it's important to make sure that your children are healthy and and that your children grow up to maturity. It's important to take care of their physical needs. But let me just tell you something that is even more important than that. As a mom, as a dad, you are responsible for being the spiritual leader of your family, of your children, that you are actually responsible for their eternity. 
Let me just tell you something. Nothing is a greater responsibility than that. And I want to talk about this for just a little bit today. I want to talk about leading your family. And I know some of you are already kind of tuning out because you're saying, I'm not a parent here today. And let me just tell you something. If you tune out this message, you are making a big mistake because the chances are one day you will be a parent. And even if you don't intend on ever being a parent, the truth of the matter is if you are married, you are still the spiritual leader of your family. And even if you're not married, you're still the spiritual leader of your house. And some of you go, I don't have a house, so you don't, you're not talking to me. Even if you don't have a house, you are still the spiritual leader of yourself. Come on. And how can you ever expect to lead a family, to lead, to lead children, unless you first know how to spiritually lead yourself? So today is for everybody. So everybody say everybody. It's for everybody. And what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about being the spiritual leader of your household. And we're going to look at this passage of scripture in the book of Acts, the book of Acts chapter 16. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you might want to go ahead and open up and turn there with me today. It's the story of these two guys named Paul and Silas. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 25. It's on the screen there for you as well today. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison was shaken. And all at once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners were about to escape. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself for we are all here. The jailer called for the lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, What must I do to be saved? They replied, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then he spoke the word of the Lord to him and all of the others in the house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. Verse 34, the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them and was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Now, most of the time when you hear this story, most preachers will talk about Paul and Silas. They'll talk about the jail. They'll talk about the earthquake. They'll talk about the, the miracle that took place. And it was a big deal, right? Here's Paul and Silas. They're worshiping God in the jail cell. And all of a sudden, they have a jailhouse rock. They're all shook up. Come on, right? I got jokes. If you don't laugh, they just keep coming. So you better laugh on the first ones. And here's, here's Paul and Silas, incredible miracle, and that's where typically we tend to focus. And yet today I want to focus not on Paul and Silas, although that's a great sermon that could be preached at another time. But today I want to focus on this jailer. I want to focus on the change that happens in his life. You see, here's a guy who doesn't know God. Here's a guy who has his priorities pretty much out of whack. You can see like he's pretty much into his job. His job is pretty important to him. In fact, he was pretty worried about losing his job, even to the point where he thought, I might even kill myself if these prisoners get loose. But something happens to change this guy's life. And it doesn't just change his life. It changes the life of his entire family. His whole household comes to know the Lord. He becomes the spiritual leader of his house. Let me just tell you something here today, moms and dads. You are the spiritual leader of your house. Whether you recognize it or not, your children are watching you. They are following what you do. 
And man, there are some important things that you can teach your kids. I mean, you can teach them how to tie their shoe. You can teach them how to, how to throw a ball or catch a ball. You can teach them how to, how to bait the rod and reel. You can teach them how to play an instrument. You can teach them how to beat a video game. You can teach them all kinds of stuff that some of it's more important than others. But let me just tell you something. There is nothing more important than teaching them the ways of God. In fact, I mean, what good does it really do if your kid is the, mo- is the best player on the whole team and they don't know God? What good does it do if, you're, if your kid is the smartest kid in the class, but they don't go to heaven when they die, right? Come on. This is of eternal value. And the good news is today that if you will lead them, just as we see in the book of Acts, if you will step out and lead them, they will follow your lead. In fact, look at some, t- some statistics that I came across a while back. Look what it says about this. It's so important that if mom and dad both attend church regularly, look at this, 72% of those children will follow Jesus as adults. How many would say that's pretty, good, that's pretty good statistics, right? But look at this. Look how important the dads are. If only dad goes to church and takes the kids to church with them, 55% will grow up to know the Lord. But look at this, if only mom, only 15%. And if no mom or dad has a godly influence in their children's life, only 6%, very little percent of those children will grow up to know and follow and serve Jesus Christ. How many would say, we have a big responsibility? And I want to talk about that for just just a minute today. I want to talk about this jailer. And I want us to just see four things that happen in his life that need to happen in our lives if we are going to be the spiritual leaders of our household. The first thing is this, is you're going to have to recognize. So everybody look at your neighbor. Just tell them, recognize. You better recognize. See, this is what happens with, uh, with the jailer in our text. Look what it says in verse 26 and verse 27. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And all at once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. And the jailer did what? Everybody say it aloud. He woke up. How many would say that an earthquake like that is going to wake you up, right? And suddenly he woke up, but he didn't just wake up from being asleep. Something woke up inside of him. And he began to recognize that, hey, something's not right. Maybe my life is not in order. Maybe there's some priorities that need to change. And the earthquake came along and it stirred him. It, it began to wake up something inside of him and begin to recognize the need for change. You know what the truth of the matter is for so many people? It takes an earth-shattering, earth-shaking event to get us to finally wake up. In fact, I've seen it over and over, man. In my years as a pastor, I've been a pastor now for a little over 20 years. I know you don't think I'm that old, but I am. And in those 20 years, you know what? I've seen it over and over and over. I've talked with people. I've counseled with people, dozens who have come to me in their times of need and said, Pastor, I didn't even see this coming. Man, I was just, man, I was so focused on my work. I was so focused on my hobby. I was so focused on my life, doing, doing my thing and doing what I was doing. And suddenly, like my earth, just, it just gave way. Suddenly, just out of nowhere, my wife said she was done and she was leaving me. And I didn't even see it coming. Suddenly, I just found out that my kids were messing around with drugs. And I didn't even know that they were having problems. Suddenly, I found out that my husband was having an affair. And I didn't even know. And it was like all of a sudden, this earth-shaking event, this seismic event that caused me to wake up and recognize, man, I need to make some changes. There's some stuff, some priorities that are out of whack in my life. 
Some of you, maybe that's you today. Maybe some of you have experienced that in your life. Maybe some of you are experiencing that right here and right now. In fact, that's the reason that you're here today because you have experienced some stuff where your world just got shook up and you weren't even expecting it. Others of you, you haven't experienced that yet, but if you continue down the same path that you're going on, you will experience this kind of thing in your life. And here's my prayer for you, man. This is what I want for you as your pastor more than anything else. I don't want you to have to have a big time event in your life to cause you to wake up. Because at that point, when the earth begins to shake around you, when, the, when, when your wife is filing for divorce, when your kids are on drugs, when, when your world begins to fall apart, at that point, it might be too late. And my prayer, in fact, my job for you as a pastor is to do a little shaking up myself, to begin to stir you just a little bit and cause you to realize, hey, are there some areas of my life that maybe the priorities have gotten out of whack or maybe I've put my priority too much on making money or on my hobby or on all these other things that I think are important that tend to distract me from the things that are really important and I don't want to wait until there's a major event in my life. What I want to do is I want to just know right here and right now and begin to recognize so that I can begin to make changes. In fact, I want to do a little exercise with you today. If you have your notes, go ahead and pull them out. And this is what we're going to do. We're just going to do a little just self-evaluation. I want you to just kind of measure the spiritual temperature of your home. I want you to measure it on a scale of 1 to 10. 10 being like, man, we're red hot. 1 being like, we are ice cold. And I want you to just ask yourself these questions for just a second today. What is the spiritual temperature of my family? 1 to 10. Just... Just rank it there. Maybe, maybe, you would say, maybe you would say, how am I, how am I doing in leading my family in spiritual matters? Like, do we have devotionals? Am I leading them in prayer? Am I leading them as, as a spiritual leader, as a husband, as a father, as a mom, as a, as a wife? Well, maybe, maybe you would say, how, how would your spouse say that you're doing in these areas? That would be the real measure. Maybe you'd say, how, how would my kids say that I'm doing in this area? And just rank yourself from 1 to 10. And let me just tell you something here today. If you didn't put 10, 10, 10, 10, you got some work to do. Maybe you said, I got nines on all of them. Hey, that's great. But all of us should be striving to say, hey, I'm going to lead my family in the things of God. And if I didn't put a 10 on every single one of those, then I got to wake up and recognize I still got some work to do, Right? So I'm going to recognize. Everybody say recognize. Number two, here's what I'm going to do. Once I have recognized, then I'm going to repent. In fact, this is what we see happen with the jailer in our story, that he recognized the earthquake woke him up, and he recognized a need for change. And then in verse number 29, look what it says. The jailer called for the lights. He rushed in, and what did he do? He fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sir, what must I do to be saved. Here's, here's the jailer. He recognized, hey man, something's not right. There's some priorities that are out of line in my life. And then notice the question. He says, I recognize a need and I know that I'm the one that needs to change. What must I do to change? Now, most of us, when we recognize a need, especially in the area of our family, that's not our first instinct. In fact, most of us, instead of saying, what do I need to do to change? We go, hey, I know my family's not where it should be and my wife's the one needs to change. Come on, right? 
Or my kids, man, if they would just be more obedient, they're the ones that need to change. Or, man, you know, it's not my fault. It's the, it's the coach's fault. He's the one that's got us playing all these soccer tournaments every single weekend. It's not my fault. It's the, it's the teacher's fault at the school. There's the ones making them do all their homework all the time on Wednesday nights and they can't come to youth service. It's the youth pastor's fault. If he would do a better job of discipling my kids than my family would be. Or it's, you know, it's the pastor's fault. Or it's all these other things, man. We blame it on everything. It's the culture's fault. It's the world's fault. It's our nation's fault. It's the president's fault. We blame everything on him, right? It's, I mean, it's the Democrats' the Republicans. It's everybody else except me. And real change happens when I recognize, man, I need to change. And what must I do to make the difference? And there's a word for that. It's called repentance. I know that's an old school word. Some of you go, man, pastor, you're getting old school today. And maybe we are a little old school today, but let me just tell you something. It works and it's true. And maybe some of you would be here today and you would recognize, man, I'm not being the spiritual leader in my family that I should be. And here's, here's the next step is you just say, man, i got to fall on my knees just as the man in the story did. And i got to say, I haven't been the dad I need to be. I haven't been the husband I need to be. I haven't been the spouse I need to be, the leader that I need to be, the wife that I need to be, the mom that I need to be. I haven't been leading in the things of God in my family. I've gotten my priorities out of order and i got to turn back to God. You know what will happen when you begin to turn back to God in these areas of your life? Your family will begin to turn with you. In fact, that's what we see right there in the scripture that as the man repented, what happened? His whole household began to come back to the things of God. And here's the truth of the matter is, guys, how can we ever expect to raise godly kids? How can we ever expect to pass on the things of God and raise up a generation that is passionate for the things of God if we are not passionate for the things of God ourselves? It starts with us. In fact, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. You can teach your children what you know, but you will reproduce in them who you are. So true, because we're really good at talking about it, aren't we? Like We're really good at saying, yeah, God's number one in my life. But let me just tell you something. You can tell your kids all day long that God's number one in your life, but you've got to show it to them. You can say God's priority, and we're a family that loves Jesus, but if every time you don't quite feel like it on a Sunday morning or there's a football game or whatever, we just, oh, we ain't going to go to church today. Guess what? You're really showing them something different than what you're saying. You can say all day long that God's number one, but if, if your kids never see you crack open a Bible and begin to read it, if they don't ever see you praying, if they don't ever see you trusting God, oh, we can say all day, trust God, trust God, trust God. But if they see you worried and freaked out about everything all the time, what are you really teaching them? We can tell them all day long, hey, be kind to others and show love and show grace to others. But if we don't show it, like if we're driving down the road and someone cuts us off and we're honking on the horn and throwing up the bird, come on, right? What are we really teaching our children if we're complaining all the time and we're criticizing our leaders all the time and, and whatever? Man, I'm telling you something. It, it's, not just about, it's not just about teaching. It's about being. It's about Doing, And if we recognize areas of our life where we're not being the kind of person God wants us to be, we've got to repent and turn back to God. And when we do, then our families will begin to follow. See, this man, he, he recognized. And his recognition brought him to a place of repentance. But then notice number three, what, what's going to have to happen is you're going to you're gonna have to rearrange some stuff. 
In fact, this is what we see in verse number 34. Look what it says. It says, And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were baptized. And the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. Now, I want you to notice this this phrase here. At that hour... Of the night. Now think about this for just a second. If you go back a little bit in the story, you will see that when Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns and stuff, the Bible says that it was after midnight. So sometime in the middle of the night, the dad went home. Just imagine this for a second. And wakes up his kids, three in the morning, and says, everybody, get up. We're all going to get dunked in water. Come on, how many know? That's like not very convenient, not very comfortable, right? I mean, the kids were like, what, you know? Let me just tell you something, guys. If you're going to lead your family in the things of God, it's not going to be convenient. And it's not going to be comfortable. And it's not going to be what everybody else in culture are doing. And your kids, let me tell you, at first, they're probably not going to like it. And you might have to rearrange some priorities in your life to make sure that it's happening. In fact, let me just tell you something, man. We are the busiest people that have ever walked the face of the earth, aren't we? I mean, we're doing stuff all the time. And if we're not careful, all of that stuff can distract from the stuff that really is the most important. There's always going to be another birthday party. There's always going to be another soccer season. There's always going to be another project to do for school. And all of these, all of these kinds of things. And we've got to decide, man, I'm going to find the priority of God being first in my life and in my family. And then I'm going to rearrange my whole life around that. You know what, man? It might mean that we have to cut some stuff out. Some things that we think are really important but aren't really accomplishing much at all. In fact, look what the scripture says about it in Psalm 39 and verse 6. It says, we are merely moving shadows. All this busy rushing ends in what? In nothing. Man, I'm telling you, we rush around to do all this stuff that we think is so important. And in the end, it ends nothing. They're not really that important. Let me just tell you something. I got news for you. Your kid's probably not going to get that baseball scholarship. Come on, right? I'm just being honest. Somebody thought it was funny. But, man, they're four years old, and we're rushing them to tournament after tournament after tournament, thinking they're going to get that baseball scholarship. We wind up spending more money on that than we would on just sending them to school, right? And then what happens is that they're 18, and they don't know God because they hadn't been in church Weekend after weekend after weekend after weekend. And let me just tell you something. I've, I've been around people when they were on, the, you know, in their, on their last moments of life, and never one time have they said, man, I wish we would have had more baseball games. I wish we would have, man, I wish we would have done more dance recitals. No, no. You know what they say? I wish I would have spent more time with my family. I wish I would have made God more of a priority in our lives. See, this is what the scripture is talking about. Look, look what it says in... Uh, In Ecclesiastes 6 and verse 4, it says, It's better to have only a little with peace of mind than to be busy all the time. And some of us need to realize, man, our our lives are out of whack. Our priorities are out of whack. And maybe we need to recognize and repent and begin to rearrange some things in our lives. And you know what? Here's the sad fact is that most of us are so busy with all kinds of other stuff that we really give very little time to our children. In fact, I came across this study that was done by Cornell University, and they said that the average father in America spends less than seven minutes a day with his kids. 49 minutes a week, that's less than an hour in a week. 
I heard a few uhs on that. You know, this one will really get you. That the average father spends 37 seconds a day with his preschoolers. And then we wonder. wonder why when they're teenagers, we're having struggles. Because we get so busy doing all the stuff that really doesn't matter. And sometimes we got to recognize, man, I haven't been leading my family. And i got to repent of some of those things. And we got to rearrange some stuff. In fact, let me just tell you something, man. Your family is the most important thing that you've got. Your kids, leading them to know Christ is the most important thing. So sometimes you're just going to have to say, hey, we're not going to do that because there's other stuff that's more important. Sometimes that means we're going we're gonna to turn off the phone, put down the Pinterest, turn off the TV. Come on, right? In fact, some of the best times in our family are those times when we just, like, we're just... Everybody hanging out, like the, the kids just come in and everybody jumps on the bed, right? And we're just talking and we're just, there's no TV, there's no phone, there's, we're just, you know, it's just, in fact, a couple of weeks ago, one, one night, we just sat there in the living room and watched YouTube videos, like for about three hours. And after it was over, just the connection we had with our family, I looked at Amber and I was like, man, that was the best night. Because we spent time with one another. We focused on what was really important. It wasn't like we had to go somewhere and do something and all this stuff that we got in our schedule. And I know it's busy, and I know you got that stuff. But, man, sometimes we got to rearrange our lives around what really is the most important. In fact, let me just help you just with a couple of practical things today. Number one, write this down. you got to get a vision. Everybody say vision. you got to get a vision for your family. And then this is what you're going to do. You're going to rearrange everything around that vision. Man, you might even want to write down a statement that says, this is what our family is going to be about. And then I'm going to rearrange everything around that vision. And then this is what I'm going to do. Letter C, I'm going to be intentional. Everybody say intentional. If you're not intentional about this, then I'm telling you, all the other stuff that's going on in your life is going to distract you from what's most important. So you've got to... Set some intentional boundaries and some intentional things in your life. In our family, some of the things that we do intentionally is that almost every night, if at all possible, we eat dinner together. Now, it might come out of a Chick-fil-A bag, but we all get around the table and we eat it together. We are intentional about that. You know, another thing that we're very intentional about in our family is that every year we take a family vacation and we do it every single year. Why? Because we know it's so important to spend that time with our family. Every, every year we do that. And every once in a while we do some special stuff. Like, like my daughter's like, every once in a while, a couple weeks ago, I just took them out on a daddy-daughter date. And just, I mean, we just went and got something to eat and went and got some frozen yogurt and just spent intentional time. Like I wrote down some questions I wanted to ask them and some things I wanted them to ask me to pour into them. I've been intentional about my daughters. They're sitting on the front row right here today. And one of them is 12 about to be 13 the other one's 13 about to be 18 you know and and when they turn 12 between their 12th and 13th birthday we just I intentionally said this is going to be a year of discipleship and we we are reading my my 12 year old we're reading through the new testament together we're memorizing scripture together we're working on some core values and stuff together because i want to be intentional about pouring into them come on right and then this is what you're gonna have to do you have to stick to it everybody say stick to it Stick to it. In fact, that leads me to the last point, and that is this. What did the jailer do? He recognized the need for change. He repented and said, what must I do to change? And then he began to rearrange some things in his family to what was most important. And then what did he do? He recommitted himself to the vision. 
In fact, this is what we see, that the jailer gathered his family together. In the middle of the night, they all got baptized. Then he, then he made this, this incredible meal, and they all sat down, and he had a family meeting. Anybody ever had a family meeting before, right? And he got everyone together. And this is what he said. He said, guys, we've had it out of, uh, out of whack. Our priorities have been wrong. I haven't been leading in the way that I should be leading. But from this day forward, we're going to follow God, me and our entire household. He had a recommitment meeting. You know what? some of you guys need to have, you need to have a recommitment meeting. In fact, today, when you go to lunch, after this service is over, you need to gather your family all around the table, and you need to say, you know what, Dad hasn't been the kind of spiritual leader that I need to be, and I repent, and I'm sorry for that, but from this day forward, I'm going to lead in the way that I should lead. You know what, Mom? Mom hasn't been the kind of mom that I should be. I haven't been teaching you the things of God. I haven't been leading you in that, but from this moment forward, it's going to be different. In fact, it kind of reminds me of a story in the Old Testament where Joshua got all the people together, the, the family of Israel together, and he had a family meeting. And look what he says in Joshua 24 and verse 15. He says, hey, I don't know what everybody else is going to do, but here's what I'm telling you we're going to do. As for me and my house, what are we going to do? We are going to serve the Lord. And some of you need to make a recommitment to that. Some of you have gotten off track just a little bit. Your priorities have gotten out of alignment, and you need to start today and recommit yourself to say, hey, I don't know what the neighbors are going to do. I don't know what your friends' families are going to do. I don't know what other people at church is going to do. I don't know what our culture is going to do. I kind of know probably what they're going to do. I don't know what our family is going to do. And I don't care what any of the others are going to do, but I know what we're going to do. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. This is going to be a house that is going to be led by the presence of God. And I'm going to stand up and be the dad and be the mom and be the husband and be the wife and be the spiritual leader of my family because I know that I don't just have a responsibility to to raise up a a human being. I have a responsibility for an eternal soul, and I'm going to live my life, everything that I do around that important priority. Come on. Let me just tell you, it won't be easy. It won't be convenient. They may not like it when you say, hey, we're not going to play you know, baseball this semester because we're going to make sure and be in church or whatever it might be. But guess what? If you will continue to lead in that way, guess what's going to happen? Your kids will follow. Your family will follow. You got to step, step up and be that spiritual leader. And guess what? We're here to help you.